All right, you want to get started here? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, guys. Welcome to the Mind Boss Project. We are going to fight the societal programming for a fat, broke, unhappy, depressed society and make you the you boss of like <laughs> what was that you're forgetting the intro there but uh anyways we're gonna make you the boss <laughs> that was Gabe Pugas I'm Jack Bly uh, we're gonna jump into it today we got three questions that we want to go over and uh let's just jump right into it all right question number one uh this is from one of our clients he reached out and he asked us as someone who spent most of his uh, childhood being soft, raised by soft parents, and never asserting himself. What would you tell someone that wants to get rid of that part of themselves and become a more hardened person? Wow, that is a that's a great question. It's conveniently timed because a few months ago, I uh, I was visiting my mom. Or right, let me backtrack here. A little over a year ago, maybe two years ago, um, I was hanging out quite a bit with my girlfriend and one of her friends, who I won't name because uh, <laughs> that's kind of irrelevant. Um, but my girlfriend's friend uh, was her neighbor growing up. Uh, they grew up in a really nice neighborhood. Um, not like totally crazy, not mansions, but really nice neighborhood, really well off. Her parents made great money and they raised these girls and gave them everything, right? More than everything. I remember they used to talk about their extravagant Christmases. Their parents would spend like multiple thousands of dollars on just like pointless crap, basically. Uh, and it would be like this, this competition, Right? Like, how much did you get? How much did we get? How much did you get? And so they were raising this life of abundance and ease. And of course, when they get to the age of like 16 or 17, when parents uh, and children really have that first big, like, hey, this is either on you or me, like buying a car, um, the parents, of course, bought them cars. Right? So they graduate high school, having everything paid for, never having any encouragement to work jobs or anything like that. And uh, then the oldest daughter goes to college, completely paid for, has her own apartment, completely paid for, and has her food completely paid for, her gas completely paid for, her outings completely paid for. So she <laughs> everything. got everything, everything handed to her. Everything handed to her. And mm -hmm. so she finishes college after four years. She graduates somewhere around when the whole COVID thing started. And she comes back home and she has a falling out with her parents where her parents don't want her to sit on the couch. They don't want her to go find a job. She's not applying to jobs. <laughs> and uh, she's telling them that they treat her like garbage, that they don't do anything for her. They ruin her life. These are her parents sitting here who gave her everything and then some. Right? So she had everything handed to her. So she was raised really, really soft. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I told my mom about this. So I, I was not raised like that. I was telling yeah. her about the situation and how crazy it was. My mom says, you know what? Regardless of how much money you make, what you're capable of giving your kids, just because you can give them something 
doesn't mean you should give them something. She said, give them everything they need, but do not give them everything they want. I like that. Yeah, I remember uh, you told me about that one story with Angel of how he he had his bike and he forgot to lock it up and it got stolen. And then, and then your mom was just like, well, you learned a lesson. Is that right? Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. I went to one of Angel's football games and uh, you know, he has to grab his bike afterwards so we could throw it in the, uh, the truck and go home and his bike wasn't there. <laughs> I'm like, what, what's going on? And his bike got stolen from school. Cause he, would ride it to school, didn't chain it up. He had a chain, just didn't chain it up. <laughs> and uh, when it got stolen, the bike probably cost like, I don't know, maybe 500 bucks at the most. It was a pretty nice bike for a kid. Yeah. Um, but something my parents could easily just be like, yeah, cool, I'll get you another bike. And they did not. <laughs> They're like, you're walking or taking the bus now. Figure it out. So that was the first like real big example of my mom putting that into practice where I was like, Okay, I see what you need now. Mm-hmm. So, so how do you find that to kind of harden yourself in a sense or assert yourself when your parents didn't bring you up like that? I don't know. Because <laughs> I was raised where there was real struggles. Mm-hmm. Like money, health, everything. What do you think? I think for me, I, I was definitely like, I have, you could say white privilege per se. <laughs> I have some privileges. Uh, I wasn't handed everything, but uh, my parents were definitely pretty kind to me growing up. Uh, most of like pretty much all my financial troubles taken care of definitely through 18. Um, for me, I could relate to, not asserting yourself. Uh, growing up, I was super shy. Uh, like I was put in positions of leadership, but I was still not assert myself. Like in high school, I was on, I was quarterback of the football team and uh, like coach would be calling plays. I knew were absolutely stupid and they wouldn't work. I was seeing the defense. I was talking to all the players and I was just like, okay, coach, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give my input. Um, and honestly, like the honest answer for me, the only thing that's, that's helped me grow out of that and actually like learn to assert myself, speak my opinion and speak my mind is, you know, forcible, forcible reps. You really just have to do it once. You have to do some, have some hard conversation or do something hard once. It's all a game of reps. The more you do those hard things, the easier that they become. Uh, so that's really my answer. That's what I learned over time. Gotcha. So, okay. You're talking about how like you had this clear struggle, right? Where you knew you weren't asserting yourself. And so you learned this lesson of just do it one time. And then you started asserting yourself more often. Yeah. Yeah. So grew with time, like it, like it's the smallest things like, like, for example, when I was like a freshman in high school, like one of the first instances when I had to like take action and speak my mind was when 
the coach moved me to defense. I didn't want to play. <laughs> so I had to like work up the courage to go into the coach's room and like have a conversation with him of like, no, I want to play quarterback. I want to do this. That's what I've done before. I know I can be more useful here. And I did that. I was super nervous. Whoa, <laughs> that's nerve wracking. <laughs> I did this like twice. Cause I think he rejected me the first time. He was like, no, <laughs> my balls are sweating, dude. Just go back. Just go, go to practice. You're on defense now. So I went in and did it again. And then I think it worked. And the next like season I got to play quarterback. <laughs> so <laughs> it worked. I was super scared though. And, uh, I, I probably like was awful at my communications, probably like shaking if you saw me, like, I don't know, yeah. but uh, it doesn't matter. You have to be willing to suck. You have to be willing to do those reps that you're going to be nervous. You're going to be scared to do. And uh, you're just going to have to do it. That's the only way to get through it is force yourself to do things that make you uncomfortable. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. And with the sports, like sports is such an easy uh, like vehicle to draw this lesson from I had a little bit of a different experience where I um, I wasn't like asking coaches for different roles because uh, I was like really good at volleyball honestly like I was a volleyball star in high school <laughs> like it was my thing but what happened was I was like you know this amazing player but I I wouldn't embrace that role like I would think so lowly of myself I'd be so like sheltered um, almost like too modest because I didn't want to be like overbearing, overstepping, right? My coach, like he had this practice of, of like hyping me up, like just in, in inserting belief into me just regularly where uh, mm-hmm. I would have like an amazing game, like lead the team. <laughs> and he'd be like, how do you think you did today? I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> and he's like, you did fucking good. <laughs> like, you did amazing. Um, Gosh, and you think that helped? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And he would tell me directly, like, you need to look at yourself as a good player. Okay. You are. And if you don't embrace like that identity and start practicing it, start embodying it in the games, uh, then it's going to affect everyone else around you. Like if you don't think you're the best player, your teammates won't think you're the best player and they're not going to think they can rely on you. They're not going to trust you. They're not going to take your leadership and and your word with credibility. Um, So I had somebody else really push me to start doing something I was uncomfortable to do in that situation. Yeah. I think that's powerful. Having coaches or having just other people in your circle are going to push you to be your best self, your authentic self, the man that can actually assert himself. Yeah. And it's very important. Yeah. I, I, we're talking about this in like a sports context and it seems very small, very trivial, trivial, like high school sports and right? whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, but I 100% see how this plays into huge, huge moments in my life. Huge moments in my life. The first time was when, okay, so I become this person who I'm speaking my mind. I'm assertive. I know who I am. I know what I value. I know things I will do and things I won't do, right? Like on the core, I know I will never not dive for a ball, right? And I know I'll always 
be calling out the hitters on the other side of the net. Those are my values. That's the person I am on the court. Small example. And then, (laughs) right. (laughs) So the first time I saw this like happen, take real, real actual impact in real life was uh, when I was like 17. And a few of my cousins from Georgia were in town uh, visiting. They're on like vacation in Orlando. And so we go out to meet them and we have dinner with the family and my cousin, one of my cousins is probably 17. The other one's maybe 19 at the time, 19 or 20. Um, so one kid, my age, uh, one kid, Marcus's age, my brother, my older brother. And uh, so we finished dinner and they're like, yo, you guys want to get some drinks? <laughs> and I, I didn't drink in high school at all. <laughs> so uh, I was like, oh, dang, like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> right. And uh, they're like, yeah, heck yeah, let's get some drinks, right? Three out of the four guys, <laughs> I was the fourth. I'm like, yeah, let's get some drinks. I'm like, my parents left. I had no, I had not like, we were downtown, no clue what to do. I couldn't just be like, no, I'm not going to hang out with you guys. Like, I had to hang out. <laughs> and so I get in the car, I'm like, oh God, like, I, I was just being quiet, not saying anything. And one of them has a fake ID. They go into like a gas station. They get the drinks with the fake ID. This is the first time I've ever been part of something like this. So I'm like freaking out. Dude, <laughs> God. But I'm like, okay, whatever. Like you can just make it through the night and just, you know, do your thing. You don't have to participate. And so we literally, we find like this parking spot like at this giant hotel, Gaylord Palms Hotel. So it's like in the back. You can't really see what's going on. And they just, you know, open yeah. up the beers they're just talking and uh, they're drinking. I'm just standing there just talking, like trying to not be awkward. <laughs> and they're like, dude, like have a drink. I'm like, nah, I don't drink. Uh, they're like, come on, dude. Like, come on, pussy. Like have a drink. Like these are my cousins, yeah. but I don't really know them that well. <laughs> so they're just like, people like, no. <laughs> so they're like, come on, pussy. Like have a drink. Stop being a bitch. And uh, I'm like, no, like I'm good. And it's not like easy. It's not automatic. So I'm like, no, I'm good. And I don't care. It's phasing me. Damn, like, am I a bitch? <laughs> my pussy? <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, it's getting to me. Dang, man. This sucks. <laughs> I feel like a pussy. <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, one of my cousins, this is, like, so weird, but he literally, he grabs me from behind, and the other cousin gets, like, a bottle of beer, opens it, and tries to, like, pour it down my mouth. And they're, they're, they're big, strong dudes like us. Like, they're not they're not like some frail dudes. So I was like, yeah, dude, like, let, let me go. What the hell are you doing? And, uh, that was the first time I really, really had to be like, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you do. I'm not going against my value. No matter what, like I will physically fight you off of me. Not because I thought if I had a sip of beer, I was going to like die or I was going to get arrested or in trouble just because at the time, the value was I don't drink. Mm-hmm. So I had to remain assertive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I have, I'm so glad that I did that. I'm so glad. Nice. That's impressive. They're literally physically trying to protect <laughs> it inside of me. <laughs> yeah. 100%, man. 100%. I'm proud of that story. <laughs> Sweet. All right. Let's jump into question number two. Let me pull this up. Let's see what we got here. So this question comes from 
uh, one of our guys in our inner circle here. And uh, he says, unfortunately, I broke up with my girlfriend last year before Christmas. Biggest thing that killed it uh, was we were both being extremely busy and schedules not lining up at all. Uh, basically stopped having sex, barely talking, vibe fell off completely. Basically, once she got promoted, there was no time for us at all. Any relationship advice on dating a busy woman with a completely different schedule than you? I'm thinking I just need to work on myself right now, get more fit, raise my income, become a better man. Okay. So I have a pretty good answer to this. Um, there's a lot to unpack here. Like there's a lot of things going on, right? Because it's a relationship. It's not just you, <laughs> right? It's what you're doing plus how someone else is reacting. Right? The first thing that this is relationship advice, like one-on-one for literally any relationship struggle that has been embedded in me from my own personal experiences and a ton of mentorship that you need to take complete ownership, full ownership, okay? You have to blame yourself for everything that's going on, okay? Every problem that's going on in the relationship. And it's not because they're not at fault or they're not an active participant in the turmoil, um, but it's because you can't control them no matter what. You can only control you, okay? So this yeah. is a you problem. Yeah, that reminds me of a story that Tyler Tote told us um, when we were in Vegas. And uh, we were walking down the strip and uh, we were just talking in really some deep conversations. And I don't know how it came up, but uh, he told us about, I remember who it was, a cousin, someone in the family or just a friend. But uh, anyways, a man and a woman, they're married. And the man uh, cheats on his wife, whatever. And what happened was uh, they actually, their marriage survived and it thrived as, after. And the reason was both parties took extreme ownership. The wife realized that she wasn't being a good wife in some areas. And the man, he manned up, he took ownership of whatever he was doing wrong, obviously the cheating part and everything else. And both sides took extreme ownership of a terrible situation. And now they're very happy together. So that's really interesting to think about how important ownership is. hundred mm -hmm. percent. That's like the perfect example of, that story is a perfect example of that lesson. You have to take complete ownership in the relationship. Right? Both parties really do for it to thrive. Um, but you have to start. hundred <laughs> uh, percent. The second part of solving this problem once you take ownership is not just being willing to do that like a ton of people can do that ownership is kind of like this popularized idea now right um, which is good that's a great thing but you also have to adopt the right role in the relationship okay so ownership is self what i can do right now how does it play into how you interact with somebody else okay so you have to make sure you're serving the right role and when we're talking about a relationship between a man and a woman, right, there's a masculine and there's a feminine role, right? And I'm not talking about basic, like, gender roles. Like, 
she cleans and cooks, you make the money. And it's a, it's a step deeper than that. I'm talking about the role in which the energy that you guys interact with is, is taking place. So when you're taking over the masculine role, when we look at how relationships are detailed and how they're supposed to function biblically, the masculine role of the relationship is supposed to act like God. Okay? And the feminine role is supposed to act like the church. Okay. And when we look at the relationship between God and the church, okay, God is this spigot of unending love. Okay. He loves the church, even when the church makes mistakes, even when the church makes him unhappy, even when the church sins and does things wrong. God loves the church. Unending. Yeah. Okay. But God still has boundaries, okay? hard set boundaries. Like, as in, I love you, the church, but if you live in sin, you'll go to hell. That's how hard the boundaries are. Mm-hmm. There's no relationship if the boundaries are crossed. Okay. So this is where a lot of guys make a mistake. Because if you're a masculine person, you naturally want to give and give and give and love unconditionally. And you have this natural urge to be this unending spirit of love. And then she does something you don't like, or that just doesn't work for the relationship or that you don't agree with. And you're like, yeah, it's okay. Whatever. <laughs> I love yeah, you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's not very good. So he has to do both. You have to have unending love and boundaries, right? So the first part is the easier part, unending love, okay? So you can serve her in all ways that she needs to be served. You can increase your income. You can get in shape. You can provide her security, right? Once you have that, you can start setting boundaries. Like, hey, babe, I have the credibility of serving my role in this relationship by providing the income providing security and whatever other things you're supposed to be providing the relationship. Here's my boundary. We need to make sure we have time for each other. Yeah. I feel like most men screw up on the credibility part beforehand and they just want to jump to the boundaries. Yeah. And they want this, they want this amazing woman to lie down and do everything for them, but they're just a shitty man to be quite honest. They don't make any money. They're out of shape. They're lazy. They're not being the man that they need to be. So how are they supposed to set boundaries in a relationship? How is she supposed to trust you? How are you supposed to have credibility with her? hundred percent. When you look at this relationship, right? Again, from the masculine and feminine role, the role of God in the church, the reason that God's boundaries are so decisive in our lives and how we behave is because he's perfect. <laughs> he has the ultimate credibility. So when there's boundaries, we strive to meet them. And we quite literally repent of our sins when we are off of the boundary or when we cross the boundary. It's like that serious. Mm. <laughs> so you have to have that credibility. <laughs> right? 100%. Dude, this is what I hate about like the alpha male philosophy and I don't care if anyone here likes the alpha male thing. Like there's a bunch of 
effed up notions that go on with that because mm-hmm. it gets praised a lot like in our circle because it's like generally conservative leaning type guys who follow it right but in my opinion what you said where most guys f up the credibility part that's all the alpha males because it focuses purely on how you can manipulate the woman and how you can get things out of her and I'm pretty sure like in the bio of one of these dudes, it literally says like face fuck her. Like make sure you do this. That's disgusting. What did you do to like <laughs> to earn the, the opportunity to be like sexually pleased? Yeah, I feel like Nothing. most of them are broken dudes. <laughs> they got their heart broken and now I don't know, they go off. And they're trying to act like an alpha male. They have to compensate some way. Huh. And I know we we accidentally dove into one of those rabbit holes once. And when you go back and look at everything this guy was describing, all the pieces of advice of how to get more out of the woman, of how to manipulate her, right, and how to control like her retention or desire for you or whatever, he said absolutely nothing about bettering yourself as a man. Mm-hmm. He actually said the opposite. He said, "Oh, if you work at Starbucks." You got no money, you're broke. Who cares? Tell her, tell her you do something obscure and mysterious. Mm-hmm. There's no ownership in that philosophy. And so you get and you get and you get and squeeze everything you possibly can out of all these different women. You give nothing. And that's a win in their philosophy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think of the, the hookup culture for men specifically? Because that's more interesting, I feel like uh what do you mean like these dudes that you know are just going out trying to bang some girls and that's their goal what do you think that does for them Hmm. i can only speak from observation because i've never done that um Hmm. but what it seems like to me right in that entire culture like alpha male and hookup culture is the same thing right they're literally talking about like, how can I manage multiple girlfriends? Like, how can I get, they literally say like, how can I get more pussies? Mm-hmm. Right? Like the next one, the next one, I got a, a new pussy on the line. That's like how they talk. It's crazy. Um, but they're, they always need that next like piece of validation, right? That next win. <laughs> and so the way I look at that is that if you are the type of guy who constantly sees yourself seeking all these hookups, there's probably some deep, deep cut that you have where now you're seeking complete and utter abundance of validation from women, from females. Like if you, if you sleep with 10 girls in 10 days, win, validated, you're an alpha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, now that I think of it, it's almost like uh, a dopamine addiction in a sense. Food, alcohol, video games, it's almost the same thing. It's obviously different, but it's the same game. It looks like they're playing an escape of your problems mm-hmm. in reach of this short-term, short, short-term instant gratification. Yeah, 100%. It's just an escape. There's, there's always just a hole, a, a hole in, your, in your heart, in your soul that needs to be filled and he, everyone thinks it's going to be filled by more of one thing or the other, right? Like, 
in guys, there's hookup culture. Like how many hookups can I have? See if I can rack up a bunch to fill that hole in my heart with women. There's like shopping culture. Mm-hmm. How many things can I have? Yeah. Finally make me happy. Fill me up. <laughs> okay. So that hole in your heart needs to be filled <laughs> first and foremost. <laughs> yeah. Then you find something, some real purpose. So yeah. I'm more looked over that. Y'all need some purpose. Y'all need to build yourself as a man. Yeah. Nine on your problem. 100%. All right. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. All right. So as a leader, you have to fill your cup first and take action. What are some other strategies you guys use to encourage your team, family, significant other? Okay. So I think he's talking about how like you're doing your part, you're filling your cup, you're doing, you're building yourself. How do you encourage the people around you to follow you on that path? Um, I like this. I like this question a lot. So uh, one instance comes to mind for me and that's uh, with my family getting back in the gym. Uh, this past year, they've all gotten back into the gym. And the thing is like, I haven't told them to do this. I really haven't at all. I've never had a conversation with them. Oh guys, you, you need to start working out. You got to start eating better. I've honestly never said that. It's just been my actions and the life that I'm living. And what happens is when you live a life worth living that other people see some value in is they'll come to their own conclusions that they want that too. You see, people resist what they're told, but they never doubt what they themselves conclude. So if you're going over and you're trying to tell your friends, significant other family members to change, trying to push them down this path, they're going to resist that. Think of an advertisement on TV. When they're making these bold claims, your bullshit detector goes off instantly. You're resisting what they're telling you. Now, to do this right way, you have to just lead by example. You have to get the results that they want. And there's going to come a time when they come to you and they are open to advice. All right. My dad came to me the other day. My sister came to me the other day. And they come to you open for advice. That's when you can go in and tell your part, encourage them. But any way around it, trying to do it beforehand, usually doesn't work out too well. That's, that's awesome, dude. I know, yeah, with your dad sending you that text message, he posted it up on Twitter a while ago. That's huge. Like he, without any conversation, he literally thinks, what would Jack do? Because he sees a result in you that he would like as well. So he concludes that he should do what Jack does. <laughs> That's all it comes down to. Results talk. Yeah. You have anything yeah. else to add to this? Yeah, I've actually, I've actually been learning about this recently. Um, this is on the like opposite end of the coin, where it's not like how do you actually encourage someone to follow you, um, but this is more on the peace of mind end of the coin. This is like, this is so weird to think about, but I've been learning this lesson recently. 
the Bible and some devotionals about like your actual role in situations like this. Like, are you called to save the person versus like being called to lead the person? Right. So what does it mean that? What does that really mean? So being the savior, that's like you burst down the door, you like pull them from their pit themselves, Mm -hmm. right? And you like put them where they need to be. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're doing all the work pretty much. Yeah. You're 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 saving them. (laughs) Like you 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 screwed up. Yeah, I got you. We're good now. Right. And that's not necessarily our role right? as people, okay, as, as men, right? as human beings. Yeah. Um, but it is our role to lead. Like what you're saying, show them something about you in you that they want to have as well. Right? And there's so many examples of this in the Bible where they, they say things like don't throw pearls to swine. Like don't, don't try to save people who are not willing or not seeing something that they want. <laughs> they haven't come to that conclusion themselves. You're, you're, you're taking up so much valuable energy that could be spent on people who are ready for you right? mm-hmm. or working on yourself. Like this is the Karen. She lectures and lectures and lectures and tells you how things should be. No yeah. one listens. How come no one listens? Because it's Karen. Mm. and no one wants to be like karen yeah the who is what matters the words you're saying doesn't matter too much 100 percent. you have to have that who first you have to fix your who first that's where your energy should be focused and people will follow without you having to say oh my gosh the stop the stop sign should be over here not over there or your manager should set this thing up here and not over there (laughs) that's why no one listens to karen I got one more thing that's uh, very tactical that you can do. It's quite interesting. A uh, little disclaimer, don't use this unethically when I'm about to share with you guys. Uh, so got this from Alex Hermosi. And uh, he was talking about how in college he was in this fraternity. And they set him up as the, the treasurer, the treasury man. So he had to collect everyone's dues to the fraternity or whatever. And there was this one guy who was known to never pay his dues. And, you know, the past two, three treasurers, they, they let Alex know, you know, this guy, he just, he doesn't pay. Like I've tried everything. I bugged him all the time. He doesn't pay. <laughs> and Alex is like, okay, let me try something else. So he calls him up and uh, what he does is he places a label on him. He says, Hey, I'm not going to bug you about your dues. I know you're a very honest, trustworthy guy. Um, so just, you know, pay me whenever you get the chance. And he places this label on him of honest and trustworthy. All right. And when you do that, people like to stay consistent with these labels, especially positive labels like that. So the man, he ends up paying him the next day. No problem. His first payment in years, probably. Uh, so that's the power of labels. So you can see how you can do this strategically to actually positively influence someone in your circle. Mm-hmm. If you see them actually going to the gym and working hard, you say, hey, man, I really admire your work ethic. All of a sudden, they start to view themselves as someone who has work ethic. It's actually a very 
positive thing for them. This is not manipulation. It's actually helping them. So that can actually be used to help the people around you. Yeah, hundred percent. I don't, I don't want anyone to, to take this tactic and think like, Oh, I'm manipulating, you know, my family member by labeling them as this hard worker when I really don't think they are. And that's going to make them identify with it and go to the gym more often. It's not hurting them because if you actually believe that them being a hard worker would help them reach their goal, have a better life. it's like your moral obligation to label them as that so that they can conclude that they're that person. Yeah. And you do use it in like reasonable situations. Like if they're laying on the couch, you can't call them hardworking. It wouldn't make any sense. It has to have like credibility in your statement. Um, but yeah, that, that's how you would use it effectively. Yeah. A hundred percent. Labeling is so powerful. Dude. It's so powerful. My favorite example of this in the, the negative way is in probably like the most noteworthy case in uh, the Bible where Satan tries to tempt Jesus, he literally labels him to try to mm-hmm. tempt him. It's like, if you're really the son of God, then just turn these stones to bread because Jesus had been fasting. <laughs> he labeled him. If you're really this person, because that who, right? Who, when you know who you are, it tells you what you'll do. That self-identity. So you almost like identify someone, give yeah. them an identity. And then that can predict their actions. Right. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Huge. I think that's like a crazy example too, because it shows that like specifically the person who was trying, who was being manipulated in that situation was Jesus. Like you needed to be that good of a person to resist a label. Like you need to be that powerful. <laughs> that's how powerful the labeling is. Mm-hmm. Like same pull out the freaking big guns. It's like, sweet, I'll just label him. He'll yeah. just do it. That's so that powerful. Very telling. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do this strategically like all the time, dude. <laughs> all the time. Use it on me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dude, That's good. you're a marketing whiz. Let's, uh... <laughs> you're really a marketing whiz. <laughs> all right, all right. That's fair. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely helpful. I like when people label me in good ways. I appreciate it. Yeah, everyone likes it. So, mm-hmm. 100%. yeah, works all around. Yeah. So that's the three questions. We got anything else? We should shut it down. Um. No, guys. Uh, thank you for listening. We are adjusting the podcast format. Uh, today was the first run. Uh, and uh, we're going to be making this run even smoother as the episodes uh, go on. But we are re-upping the Mind Boss project. And uh, where these questions came from, if you're wondering, is from members of the Elite Body Inner Circle. Okay, So if you want personal access to us, if you want to have your questions answered, join the Elite Body Inner Circle. Both Jack and myself have links in our bios. And uh, you can just join there. And then uh, if you need more help, hire us for coaching. And that's it. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Have an amazing rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Boom.